Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, good morning, beloved family. I pray that you are well and you had a magnificent Easter. We are coming to you today, audio, not video, but blessed be God that we could come to you by audio. It is Wednesday of the Holy Week of Easter, where every single day is a first-class feast. So, so glorious. And I pray you had a wonderful Easter and that you are enjoying this week and that your children know that every day, this is the octave of Easter, every day is a first-class feast. So beautiful. And what's going on in the world, uh, in the world is as awful as could be, uh, beyond description, but in our world, heaven is our home, and we're walking with Christ through the year, um, and we're thrilled. Uh, I'm in uh, the liturgical year by the Reverend Don Prosper Garanger, abbot of Salem, who wrote this in the 1800s, and is so wonderful. Um, and he describes that we give the name of Paschal, P-A-S-C-H-A-L, Paschal time, to the period between Easter Sunday and the Saturday, Saturday following with Sunday, with Pentecost. So we have a magnificent reason here to celebrate between Easter and this Saturday following with Sunday, Pentecost, and of course the Sunday following Easter. Um, this coming Sunday is Divine Mercy Sunday. Uh, it's a very, very special day, and we'll speak more about that tomorrow as well. Um, but this, believe it or not, we'd say, isn't Christmas the most special time of the year? Um, actually, this now, Paschal Tide, Paschal Time or Paschal Tide, T-I-D-E, is the most sacred portion of the liturgical year, and the one toward which the whole cycle converges. We'll see easily, um, and Don Geringer says we shall easily understand how this is if we reflect upon the greatness of the Easter feast, which is called the Feast of Feasts, and the Solemnity of Solemnities. In the same manner, says St. Gregory, as the most sacred part of the temple was called the Holy of Holies, and the book of sacred scripture, where they are described, um, wherein are described the espousals between Christ and the church. It is called the Canticle of Canticles. It is on this day that the mission of the word incarnate attains the object toward which it has hitherto been unceasingly tended. Mankind is raised up from his fall and regains what he has lost by Adam's sin. We just put that in our, our simple words here. Um, although I think Don Geringer's writing is very clear and simple, but um, basically Christ came to die. He was born to die. He was born for this. He was came into the world to die for the sins as the only, the sins that separate us from God as the only sacrifice that God would accept. Why? Because, dear ones, um, throughout the whole Old Testament, 
I've said before that God raised the Hebrew people as parents raised children. The Old Testament is a coloring book. And because they did not yet understand the heinousness, the awfulness of sin before a holy God, uh, and what was required of them, um, God gave them the death of animals. They would take on Passover, which Easter is the fulfillment of, the Mass is the Passover fulfilled in the New Covenant. Um, the the uh, Christ is the final lamb, the final Passover lamb, and the only lamb that could take upon the sins of the world, because he is the only one that was without sin. And throughout the whole Old Testament, God gave the sacrificial system for the people to bring uh, animals, bulls, goats, lambs, to the altar to be slain, and their blood spread on the altar as an offering for their sin so that those who deserve death, because the wages of sin is death, the payment for sin is death, what we've earned by our sin is death. Our Lord said, without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission or forgiveness of sin. And so it required the blood of a pure and sinless animal. But throughout all of history, there was none pure, none without sin which is none of us without sin. No Adam that was without sin. Uh, None of us that could reverse the curse that Adam and Eve put on the human race. And so as a substitute for us, God told the people of Israel to take animals, many of them. Uh, A lamb had to be burning um, as a sin offering perpetually in the in the temple, uh, bulls and goats and the animals that were brought needed to be without blemish or without spot. That would signify a holy offering for a holy God. And so throughout 15 years of the sacrificial system, 1,500 years, my goodness, of the sacrificial system, millions and millions of animals were brought and millions and millions of lambs were slain every Passover. The Jewish people, family by family, had to bring a lamb as an offering to the temple. And Jerusalem is located 4,000 feet up. So the people would go up to Jerusalem and they present their lambs. And the priests would slay the lamb and the blood would be shed on the altar in payment for that person's sin. But of course, he was a dead animal now. And no dead animal could do anything. Uh, Even a live animal could not pay for the sin of mankind. They were symbols that would point, every one of them, that would point to the Lamb of God who would one day come and take upon himself not the sin of an individual or a family, but the sin of the entire world, which is why when Jesus came into the Jordan, as John was baptizing, the people under the old covenant, baptism didn't save anybody. But again, it was symbolic as a remission of sin, as, a, as, as God washing away sin. But it couldn't wash away their sin because it took the blood of a spotless animal. And so when Jesus came into the Jordan, John the Baptist pointed at him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God, the Lamb to which millions of Old Testament lands pointed, the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sin of the world. And John was shocked. John was the cousin of our Lord Jesus, six months older than him. And he looked at him, and both of them, 30 years old, and he said, oh, I should be baptized by you. I shouldn't baptize you, John said. And Jesus said, yes, permit it now to fulfill all righteousness. Why was Jesus baptized? Did he have sin? No. Did he, his sin need to be washed away? Absolutely not. But to fulfill all righteousness, what does that mean? The law required that everyone be baptized for the remission of sin, even though it was a symbolic offering, which the Israelites didn't know. They simply needed to obey. And in obeying the law, they would be saved because it poured the whole law was our schoolmaster, wrote uh, the Apostle Paul to the Galatians, our schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. Christ was the fulfillment of the law, is the fulfillment of the law. Um, And he said he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, which he did. Um, And so um, when Christ said, it is baptize me, John, to fulfill all righteousness. It was that Jesus, who gave the law because he's God, um, uh, would fulfill it perfectly by being baptized. Uh, he would fulfill all righteousness, everything that was right and just. And, um, and so he came to earth to die. He was born at Christmas, beloved. He was born to die. All children are born to live. This child was born to die. I I think there were way more than seven sorrows of our Blessed Mother, because who would have a child who would be the savior of the world through his death? Her entire life. And there's a Protestant song that says, did Mary know? It it degrades her, that song. Of course she knew. Mary knew that she bore the Messiah. And unlike many Jewish people, including the Messiah, the disciples at the time, who came to believe he was the Christ, the Messiah, that's what Christ means, the Son of the living God, they did not understand his divinity, but Mary did. But Mary and Joseph did. They knew that he would be the Savior of the world, that he was, and when he was put to death on the cross, it was our Lord who, who went to the cross willingly um, as the offering of his Father. He came for that purpose. For this was I born, he said. And Mary, at the foot of the cross, dear ones, she gave her son. She was not a victim whose son was ripped from her and put on the cross. She gave her son. She knew that she was the mother of the Messiah, that she was the mother of the Son of God who was born from her. She knew that. Um, Was she a victim as he was a victim? Yes, but she gave her son. Um, No mother would give her son to to be uh, crucified, especially for the world that would put him to death, for a world of sinners. But this mother did, dear ones, this mother did. He is the mother of the Savior. He is the new Adam. She is the new Eve, the mother of all who have life in the Son. We'll be right back after the break, beloved. Don't go away.
Hi, this is Jim Havens, co-founder of the National Men's March to Abolish Abortion and Rally for Personhood. Some truths are self-evident, some rights are unalienable. It is a scientific fact that life begins at conception fertilization. It is a foundational moral truth that we ought not murder innocent human beings. Every human being is a human person with a right to life and the equal protection of law according to the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Yet we have an ongoing daily mass murder of our little pre-born brothers and sisters. It's time for all men and women of goodwill to rise up together in the public square and say no more. Come join us in Albany, New York on Saturday, June 3rd. Men, let's go first and gather at 9 a.m. for the Men's March. Women, we need you to join us at 10.45 a.m. for the Rally for Personhood outside of the New York State Capitol. We'll have some great speakers along with terrific opportunities for formation and fellowship before and after. Go to themensmarch.com for all the details. See you in Albany. Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam, host of Mother Miriam Live. Like the Catholic Current and the many other programs that originate from the Station of the Cross, Divine Mercy in My Soul is all about the messages that Jesus revealed to St. Faustina. It is aired every Sunday morning at 11 Eastern and Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Or you can listen anytime to Divine Mercy in My Soul on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Jim Havens, host of The Simple Truth, heard weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network. It raises the question, I think, for a convert like me or for a cradle Catholic is, why are we seeing the human leadership of the Catholic Church steer the Church in a direction that doesn't seem consistent with Catholicism of the last 1900 years? That's The Simple Truth, weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We are live by audio today, not video uh, we should be back on video tomorrow, but it's, I'm thrilled to be with you and pray you all had a blessed Easter. We are reading from the liturgical year by uh, the Reverend Don Prosper Garanger, abbot of Salem, who lived in the 1800s. And speaking of Easter, he says it is on this day that the mission of the Word incarnate obtains the day of Easter, obtains the object toward which it has hitherto been unceasingly tending. Mankind is raised up from his fall and regains what he has lost by Adam's sin. And we, just before the break, we mentioned that it is Christ who is the new Adam, the new man of the new creation in Christ, of the new covenant in Christ, and Mary is a new Eve. Um, just magnificent. Eve um, means mother of the living. And Eve in the old covenant, uh, not the old covenant, covenant wasn't made yet, with Abraham and then um, with Adam. Um, uh, no, no, the covenant wasn't made yet. Eve was, her name means mother of the living. And Mary, and so she is the mother of the living of everyone in the old Adam who plunged the world into sin. And 
Mary is the mother of all that is living, the new Eve. Mary is the new Eve of all those living in the new Adam, who is Christ. And so you might be Protestant, but um, she is your mother. If you, if you don't know that, you're an orphan. You have a mother, dear ones. She, he is, you have a, a savior, and she is the mother of Christ and the mother of all that are in Christ. Uh, and uh, let me just see. Uh, Christmas, Don Garringer says, Christmas gave us a man God. Three days have scarcely passed since we witnessed his infinitely precious blood shed for our ransom. But now, on the day of Easter, our Jesus is no longer the victim of death. He is a conqueror that destroys death, the child of sin, and proclaims life, that undying life which he has purchased for us. I want to think of the words on the cross in my 18 years of Protestantism when Jesus said, it is finished, and we said there's nothing else to be done. It is finished. We can do nothing. How wrong I know that is. Yes, he said it is finished, but not what was needed for salvation if he hadn't risen from the dead, if he had remained a dead lamb, a dead hero, a dead victim, there would be no salvation for us. The humiliation of his swapping bands, his sufferings of his agony and cross, these are all past. All now is glory. Glory for himself and glory also for us. On the day of Easter, God regains by the resurrection of the man-God his creation such as he made it at the beginning. The only vestige now left of death is that likeness to sin which the Lamb of God deigned to take upon himself. Can you imagine if God himself came to be our Lamb to suffer and die and now... um, the only likeness to sin which the Lamb of God deigned to take upon himself is the vestige of death now. Um, uh, neither is it Jesus alone that returns to eternal life. The whole human race also has risen to immortality together with our Jesus. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, By a man came death, and by a man the resurrection of the dead. And as in Adam all die, so in Christ, the new Adam, all shall be made alive. The anniversary of this resurrection is therefore the great day, the day of joy, the day par excellence, the day to which the whole year looks forward in expectation and on which its whole economy is formed. But as it is the holiest of days, since it opens to us the gate of heaven into which we shall enter because we have risen together with Christ, the church would have us come to it well prepared by bodily mortification and by compunction of heart. It was for this that she instituted the fast of Lent and that she bade us during Septuagesima look forward to the joy of her Easter and be filled with sentiments suitable to the approach of so grand a solemnity. We obeyed. We have gone through the period of our preparation and now the Easter sun has risen upon us. 
I'm going to just take a little aside here to speak to all of those um, who say, yes, but I failed in Lent. I didn't keep my Lenten resolutions. And if I were Jesus talking with you, which I'm not, it could never be, I would say, it's all right, beloved. Divine Mercy Sunday is coming up because I wanted the world to know that my greatest attribute is mercy. You tried. You failed. Many of you tried again. And a number of you did not carry out your Lenten resolutions. But you did it. You tried. Um, And that's what I ask of you, to never stop, stop trying. And you say, well, I did stop trying after I failed. God knows it. But you did try. If you take a parent for a child, a three-year-old, and he or she just strives to do clean up after herself or himself or wash dishes or and breaks them, you know, a parent is thrilled for the efforts of a child. And so we're children. Some are more mature than others. But many of us, if not most of us, do fail, beloved. And it is pride if we get destroyed by our failure. All we need to do is get up and walk toward our Father and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I failed. I'm sorry that I failed even to try hard enough. And our Lord will say, I love you, dear child, and I forgive you. Dom Dom Garanger continues, It was not enough to solemnize the great day, to make it a solemnity. When Jesus, our light, rose from the darkness of the tomb, there was another anniversary which claimed a grateful celebration. The incarnate word rose on the first day of the week. That same day, we're on 4,000 years before, he, the uncreated word of the Father, had begun the work of the creation by calling the fourth light and separating it it from darkness. The first day was thus ennobled by the creation of light. It received a second consecration by the resurrection of Jesus. And from that time forward, Sunday and not Saturday, was to be the Lord's day. Yes, our resurrection in Jesus, which took place on the Sunday, gave this first day a preeminence above the others of the week. The divine precept of the Sabbath was abrogated together with the other ordinances of the Mosaic Law. And the apostles instructed the faithful to keep holy the first day of the week, which God had dignified with that twofold glory, the creation and the regeneration of the world. Sunday then, being the day of Jesus' resurrection, the church chose that day in preference to every other day for its yearly commemoration. The Pasch, or the Passover, of the Jews, in consequence of its being fixed on the 14th of the moon of March, that is the anniversary of the going out of Egypt, fell by turns on each day of the week. The Jewish Passover was but a figure. Ours is the reality, and puts an end to the figure. The church, and I'm going to repeat what Jesus said, it doesn't obliterate it, it fulfills it. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. 
The church, therefore, broke this, her last tie, with the synagogue and proclaimed her emancipation. Well, that's what Dom Geringer says, and I am not an abbot nor a priest, but um, it, it seems that um, the view here is a bit off. It's not that she broke her last tie with the synagogue. Any more, beloved, than a butterfly can break totally. Well, it does break its... Well, let me just say in the same way. A butterfly breaks its tie with a caterpillar. Um, the caterpillar no longer exists, but the butterfly comes from the caterpillar. And so, in a sense, it exists in the caterpillar. Um, and that the caterpillar, rather, exists in the butterfly because the butterfly comes from the caterpillar. There'd be no caterpillar without the butterfly. If you put the caterpillar, oh, I can't say it. If you put the caterpillar to death, there's no butterfly. It's just death. But if you let the caterpillar live to its full flowering, it becomes a butterfly, though it goes through a metamorphosis, a complete change, and a, a, set, a sort of death to become that butterfly. But that's what the caterpillar becomes. And so Judaism, not the synagogue, but the Judaism that God gave, the Mosaic law, as it's, and, and the Hebrew nation, the covenant that God made with Abraham, um, has its full flowering in the butterfly, which is the church. The Mosaic law was fulfilled in Christ and no longer exists whatsoever. It no longer exists. Um, but again, it wasn't put to death. It was fulfilled in Christ. What is fulfilled no longer exists. The, the God gave his covenant to Abraham. That covenant still exists. That covenant is that through Abram, all the peoples, the nations of the world would be blessed. And that is through the church. And the Mosaic law was conditional. It was given in order to help the Hebrew people to live the covenant with Abraham, to live the law that God gave. The law of the Ten Commandments was simply the law of God in the heart of man. The Ten Commandments were given in every creature. And God wrote them on stone that we would have the words when we sinned and we'd be able to live them out. And now, it's not that there are no longer any t Ten Commandments. There are. That's not abrogated. It is that now in Christ, we have the power to live them out. Now we can live them out because the law is fulfilled in Christ who is in us. It's a little complicated. I might be summing it up a little too quickly. But let me read this again. The church broke her last tie with the synagogue and proclaimed her emancipation by fixing the most solemn of her feasts on a day which should never agree with that on which the Jews kept their, uh, their now unmeaning past. Well, we could say it's unmeaning, beloved, but as Christians, especially Catholic Christians, it was um, uh, Cardinal Ratzinger, even before he became Pope Benedict, that 
uh, wrote that every parish, every Catholic should keep the... This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for April 12th. Today we celebrate St. Teresa of Los Andes. One needn't live a long life to leave a deep imprint. Teresa of Los Andes is proof of that. As a young girl growing up in Santiago, Chile in the early 1900s, she read an autobiography of a French-born saint, Therese, popularly known as the Little Flower. The experience deepened her desire to serve God and clarified the path she would follow. At age 19, she became a Carmelite nun, taking the name of Teresa. The convent offered the simple lifestyle Teresa desired and the joy of living in a community of women completely devoted to God. She focused her days on prayer and sacrifice. I am God's, she wrote in her diary. Toward the end of her short life, Teresa began an apostolate of letter writing, sharing her thoughts on the spiritual life with many people. At age 20, she contracted typhus and quickly took her final vows. She died a short time later during Holy Week. Teresa remains popular with the estimated 100,000 pilgrims who visit her shrine in Los Andes each year. She is Chile's first saint. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. When I was outside of the church, there was always an unsettled feeling. There was always a feeling of something missing and something not complete. The, the deal clincher is we found our way to our, our parish. And we met just an incredible pastor. We learned things that we'd never been taught. Wouldn't be the person that I am without the church and without the sacraments, particularly the Eucharist. I can't live without it. If you've been away from the Catholic Church, visit catholicscomehome.org. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We're not video today, but we're live by audio, and I thank God for it. I pray you all had a beautiful, glorious Easter. Uh, this is our half hour together, but just before the break, um, um, we were speaking about um, the Passover and how um, how Christianity fulfills the Old Covenant and Jesus said, but to fulfill. And so um, where... Um, there have been many questions about the Jewish Passover and should it be celebrated in Christian churches, Catholic or non-Catholic Christian churches. And the answer by uh, Cardinal Ratzinger, who became Pope Benedict, is absolutely yes. We don't celebrate it as one of our feasts waiting for the Messiah, but we celebrate it as our um, heritage, as our tradition, because to understand the Jewish Passover as a beautiful celebration with all the elements, but describing what each element represented as the history, as the foundation for the the mass, is a magnificent thing. It's our heritage, and we should understand. You'll understand the, the holy mass 
much more because the law, the mass, is the Passover fulfilled and the true Passover lamb. We'll continue this tomorrow, dear ones. But for today, this is our half hour together. And um, I want to take your calls, your emails, um, anything that's on your heart, beloved. Uh, feel free to call in toll free one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three or email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. I want to mention very briefly again that the spring on air appeal uh, from the station of the cross is going to begin uh, in May this coming month. Um, I can't believe May is here already. Um, and um, uh, just a note that you don't have to wait until then to uh, support um, the Station of the Cross. They're doing something very special this year. They're putting up a uh, a prayer wall. And so uh, when you send in your prayer intention, listeners, everyone will pray for your intentions. The theme this year is Lord, hear our prayers. Every prayer you send in with your donation goes on the prayer world, and many, many uh, will pray for it, thousands. So it's it's a million. It's a wonderful, wonderful gift to us. Uh, you can donate right now ahead of time and call uh, the toll-free number one eight seven 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 eleven eighty five hundred. 877 711 and make your donation online. You can use your iCatholic Radio app or return uh, the envelope of the mailing from the station of the cross. And I know that they will ask God to bless you for your generosity. Um, I'm going to take your calls and your emails now. Um, feel free to call or write in with anything on your heart, dear one. We have a, um, a question from Facebook from Apollo who says, Mother, do you know about the Good Friday prayer for the conversion of the Jews and all the change that this prayer has undergone in order to not offend Jews? What do you think of these changes when you talk about this prayer? Preferably, oh, before Good Friday. Thanks so much, Apollo. I'm so sorry. I'm getting to your prayer after Good Friday, um, but we can uh, we can talk about it and understand it for the following year as well, and for all through the year. Um, There's a wonderful article on the website of the New Liturgical Movement, and it's titled The Truthfulness of the Pre-1955 Good Friday Prayer for the Jews. Um, And so let me get to the Good Friday Prayer. Hold on. The Prayer for the Jews in the Pre-1955 Mass is the pre-sanctified in the Mass of the Pre-Sanctified on Good Friday, it reads as follows. It's not the way the prayer reads today, if you want, but it is um, the way the prayer did read. And it says, quote, Let us pray also for the faithless Jews, faithless meaning because they have no faith in the Messiah. In fact, they were the first ones to believe, the first Christians, the first followers of the Christ, of the Messiah. Jews, that Almighty God may remove the veil from their hearts so that they too may acknowledge Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, 
and it says, Almighty Jesus Christ our Lord, Almighty and eternal God, who dost not exclude from thy mercy even Jewish faithlessness, hear our prayers, which we offer for the blindness of that people, that acknowledging the light of thy truth, which is Christ, they may be delivered from their darkness through the same our Lord Jesus Christ, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever, forever and ever. Amen. Oh, dear ones, do I agree with that? Absolutely. It's a beautiful prayer. Anytime we pray for the salvation of any soul, it's a beautiful prayer and a, a gift a gift of grace to pray for the Jewish people who were the first to receive. He came through the Jewish people through the Blessed Virgin Mary and for the Jewish people to the Jew first and also to the Greek or also to the Gentile. Um, for them not to believe is, is to, for them not to believe, for the Jewish people to not believe that they gave to the world, that God gave to the world through them is, is a tragedy. So yes, it's good for that prayer to speak truth. Sometimes we worry so much about offending the Jewish people that they don't know about their own Messiah because we're afraid to tell them. Some um, unfortunate Catholics who call themselves Catholics say, we have Christ, the Jews have Moses. That's not true. Jesus himself said, if you believe Moses, you would have believed me. Moses pointed to him. Moses could not save anybody. The law of Moses could not save anybody. Christ is his fulfillment. He's the only one, the only one that can be saved. So if you wish a further uh, explanation of it, go of this whole thing, go to the new liturgical movement and you'll get the entire article, which I don't want to take up all our program time on. But um, Apollo, I, I grieve the change of the, um, the Good Friday prayer for the Jewish people. I think we should pray for them, and I think they need to be told the truth, not in such words that they cannot understand that he is the Messiah and there is no other name, no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. We have a call from Denise in Toronto. Hello, my friend. How are you? I'm good. Thank you, Mother Miriam. Um, happy Easter. Happy Easter, Denise. Thanks for calling in, sweetheart. I pray it was a glorious Easter for you. It, it certainly was. Nothing can take away good. my Easter joy. <laughs> so, there you go. Um, yeah, good. I, I'm calling because, um, especially on the topic you're just speaking about, um, I wanted to ask you a question. I've always wanted to ask a Jewish a convert, um, but never had the, I guess, the um, confidence to do so. Um, what's it like to know that the Lord, the Messiah, came through your lineage, through your blood? It is, um, I, I, the only word is wonderful, with no negative in the world. It is, it's not that he came through my blood so much as that I came through Jewish blood. I didn't know that as a child, but I knew that we were the people of God, the Jewish people. And we grew up in a conservative Jewish home starting out. And we knew that we're his people. And as a little girl, I didn't know the word grace, but uh, that's what I felt. 
And I said, I have nothing to do with this. I simply came out of my mother's womb, and voila, I'm one of God's people. And it was yeah. such a beautiful sense that we were God's people. I'm part, of, which is why, Denise, I've said this before on the air, that as children, because we knew who we were, this is a lesson to Catholic parents today, because we knew we were God's people, whatever we did, I, a brother David, two years older, and a sister Susan, three years younger, whatever we did in the world reflected on not just our parents, we knew this, but on the Jewish people throughout the whole world, because we were part of the people of God, and on God himself. And to, to, and we always knew that the Messiah, I didn't know he would be God, uh, but we knew that he was from God to establish God's kingdom on the earth and that he would come through the Jewish people. Um, and so we always felt tremendously, I, I can't speak for even all my siblings, but I felt enormously privileged, I guess is the only word, and felt like that I had a responsibility in being Jewish to all the Jewish people in the world, though I had never met them, and to the God who uh, would send the Messiah, uh, whose people we are. So when I learned that the Messiah who would come through the Jewish people was himself divine, was God, that was the utter shock of my life and um uh and and it was also the greatest hindrance of my becoming a christian let alone catholic because we knew we, a man couldn't be god and i knew i could never stand before god in heaven and answer why i believed in a man so if christ wasn't god uh we could never believe in him but blessed be God himself, that he um, opens our hearts and gives the gift, gift of faith. So um, it's the other way around that I came through the Jewish people, of, 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 uh, which is the lineage of Christ. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, since I was a little girl, well, since I knew about Jesus and that he was Jewish, um, we had neighbors who were Jewish, and um, really, I used to babysit for them. I used to be so in awe just to be in their presence because whenever somebody said that you know that person's Jewish or I saw a Jewish person, mm -hmm. I was so in awe. And then when I learned later on about the Holocaust, it was like a biggest yeah. shock mm -hmm. to me. Like how could people do that to Jesus? Is the people who you know through whom you know Jesus? I mean, the way you said it, the line, I said it all wrong, but. But yeah, and if I could just add one thing, it's one thing I wanted to mention, and you don't have to believe me about this, but one day I was praying to the Lord, and I was very upset that, you know, I've been having problems with one of my brothers who's left the faith, and I said, Lord, when, when will I be reconciled with my brother? It's been so many years, and I heard a voice, and he said, you've been you haven't been reconciled to your brother for years. He said, I haven't been reconciled with my brethren for centuries. It made oh me laugh. Oh, my goodness. It made me laugh. Oh, my goodness. And then I started to cry when I realized how long that was. And, yeah, oh I just my. wanted to share that. That's huge. That's mm -hmm. huge. You know, we 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 rarely think of those comparisons of what Christ went through. 
That is amazing. Yes, he still cries. He wept over Jerusalem. The shortest verse, mm-hmm. you know, in the, uh, Jesus wept over Lazarus, but he wept, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. Um, it, it, that's the saddest line for me in Scripture. So, mm-hmm. yes, Denise, mm-hmm. well, there's the music for oh, our break you. already. So, God, I'm happy you called in, Denise, and um, God bless you, and don't ever, I, I say this to anyone, don't ever worry about offending a Jewish person or a non-Jewish person. Do not withhold, speak the truth in love, but speak the truth. If we withhold the gospel, we will be accountable. All right. Bless you, Denise. Thank you. And we'll be right back after the break, beloved, for your calls, your texts, your emails. Oh, I think not your texts, but your calls and your emails and the toll-free numbers, 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross.com. We'll be right back. This is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Which of these is the most difficult for you to objectively believe? Jonah lived in a whale? Moses heard God's voice in a bush? Peter's authoritative declarations would be backed by heaven? Or that Daniel survived the flames of fire? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the result. Most difficult was Jonah, then Daniel, then Moses. The easiest was Peter receiving authority to grant forgiveness. Secondly, the early church was tough. You see, that authority granted to Peter could put one out of the church due to sin, and that same authority was installed to bring one back into the church through personal confession. We understand that reconciliation with the church is inseparable from reconciliation with God. And thirdly, our Bibles are filled with promises, but this promise was to Peter, the apostles, and the generational successors of Peter known as the Catholic bishops. So here's an idea. Take a drive down your street, look up at a Catholic church, and just know this for a fact. That priest inside that church was ordained straight down through the lineage of St. Peter. Bumper magnets are a great way to promote the gospel as proclaimed through Catholic radio. We hear all the time from new listeners who were introduced to the station through a bumper magnet. We'd be happy to send you a bumper magnet so that others can come to know our Lord. Just go to thestationofthecross.com and find our bumper magnet request button under the About tab. That's thestationofthecross.com under the About tab. This is Jesuit Father Robert McTague, your daily host of The Catholic Current. Join me on Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern to reconnect with Dr. Scott Hahn. We'll be talking about the most important sentence in Scripture. Can you guess what it is? Find out on The Catholic Current on Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, coming to you from the Station of the Cross and the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. 
Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our last segment. We have 10 minutes, and you have 10 minutes to call in if you wish with anything that's on your heart. Um, we're audio only tonight. Hopefully, we'll be back on video tomorrow. Um, we have an email from Joe, and Joe says, Dear Mother Miriam, I'm angry at my wife for the way she handled the situation with my mother, who is 83 years old, and her partner, Adam, 85 years old. But I shudder when I hear the word partner. Um, I, I, um, but rather than her male friend, but partner, I don't know quite what that means. Um, Joe says, I'm not sure how to make this short, so forgive me if it seems lengthy. Well, I'm just taking a look. It does look lengthy. I haven't read it yet, but um, I'll speak through the email, Joe, since it is lengthy. Joe writes, back in 2008, my father passed away. My dad, while doing the best he could, was an alcoholic, and their marriage was kind of dysfunctional. But I will give them credit for not taking the easy way out. After his passing, my mom moved up near where we lived, and within a few years, she met a wonderful man named Autumn. He was pretty much everything my dad was not for my mom. He treated her like a queen, and for the first time in a long time, I saw that she was finally happy in a relationship. Unfortunately, he was non-Catholic, he was Episcopal, and divorcee, and for various financial reasons, my mom could not marry again. However, short of an official marriage, they had a, quote, commitment ceremony, end quote. I don't know what that is. Commitment ceremony. It's got nothing to do with the Catholic Church. Commitment ceremony officiated by one of Adam's ministers. I'm sure that would be the case. And are, are, and are by all accounts, married. No, they are not. They are not married. I, I, again, I'm, I'm speaking through your, your um, um, I'm speaking through your email, Joe. Ooh. I have no idea, says Joe, nor do I ever want to even know if they have ever slept together. However, they both love each other faithfully, take great care of each other in their old age, and given my mom's various breathing slash heart ailments, they're have probably been a few times where Adam literally saved my mom's life just by being there to take her to the hospital during a few emergencies. My wife has been to tell my mom that she's living in sin and their souls are in mortal peril as a result. And by me not warning her, that will be on my soul as well. Well, again, um, I, I'm not waiting to read the entire email, but so far, your wife is 100% right. At first, he Okay. Um, at first, Joe says, I was just afraid to tell my mom, especially since I tasted her, that I would never be able to do, not to mention the life-saving efforts provided. And as mentioned above, I have no idea of their activities, so I don't know if they have sinned in that way. For all I know, their relationship is one of mutual company. Another part of me feels like the pot calling the kettle black, since my wife and I lived together in sin before we were married. So how can I call 
another out for the same thing that my mother ironically was against in the beginning. Well, it's not pot to pot calling the kettle black. It's a kettle made clean by the blood of Christ now that is calling the kettle black because the kettle is not yet uh, living a holy life. Um, Joe continues, both my wife and I have repeated uh, repented for that sin, but I feel extremely hypocritical. And again, I don't know if anything goes on in their bedroom. It doesn't matter, Joe. They are living in sin. Um, uh, a commitment ceremony has nothing to do with marriage, does not give them freedom to be intimate or act as a married couple. Um, Joe continues, the other issue that's come up is that when Adam has attended Catholic Mass with my mom, they rotate which denomination they attend. He has received communion. <laughs> His receiving communion is worse than their living together. Um, at first, I thought it was just a misunderstanding and ignorance of Catholic teaching. When I approached him about this last year, to let him respectfully know that he's not allowed to receive communion, fortunately, Joe, your mother should have done that. Unless he's in, that he's not allowed to receive communion, unless he's in full communion with the Catholic Church, he said that he asked a Catholic deacon, and that deacon said it was no big deal. My jaw nearly dropped. Well, shame on that deacon, and he will be accountable. Fast forward, Joe says, to yesterday on a remembrance mass for my late father. Adam again went up for communion. Shame on your mom for allowing him to do that. Um, and unfortunately, since he was helping my mom, he received it in one hand, which made it look irreverent in the manner he consumed it. It was irreverent. My wife was he didn't have to receive it one hand. He should have received it on his phone. He should not have received it at all. My wife was so upset that she had to excuse herself. She now went to composure but then castigated me for not reproaching him in the middle of Mass for receiving the Eucharist, which I thought would cause more harm than good. The middle of Mass is not the time to do that, especially by disrupting the Mass itself, to which my wife replied, well, Jesus overturned tables for less, and he didn't seem to care about upsetting people. No, your wife is so emotional that she's not thinking clearly. Um, Jesus did not overturn tables for less. There's nothing more than receiving his body, blood, soul, and divinity. Anything other is less. It was less that Jesus overturned the temples. Or she did say that for less, that's right. But that's not what to do at the Mass. Um, she finally regained her composure. We all went out to lunch together. My wife, my mom, Adam, my three young adult children, myself, Toward the end of the lunch, a discussion heated, got heated about the Catholic faith and morals, since my mom apparently didn't think we knew what goes on at some Catholic colleges. So my wife seemed to think this was the perfect opportunity to put her two cents worth in about Adam receiving communion and my mother and he living together in the middle of the restaurant. I'll tell you, all of us, anyone who thinks that someone else is sick, or never doesn't want to face the truth. Joe goes on, needless to say, that went over like a lead balloon. 
and my wife had excused herself because she was getting even more excited, and my daughter left in tears, leaving me, my crying mom, Adam, who was trying to comfort her, and my older son um, had left earlier before this went down. Let me just see how, how your email is too long for me to complete right now, um, Joe. Um, I'm going to conclude. Um, I will I will continue with your email tomorrow, just summing it up. But to conclude for today, Joe, um, your wife is absolutely wrong. Uh, your mother is absolutely wrong. You are absolutely wrong to not tell her so-called partner. Um, you are also wrong to not warn the priest that your mother has a friend who's going to come up receive communion, even though he's not Catholic and must not be given communion. That is all your responsibility. Um, your wife is 100% right, Joe, and you are 100% wrong. Um, the fact that the grace hasn't been given to your mom that was given to you is another matter. And your mom will never be brought to repentance by your causing a scene. Um, he needs to be told the truth in love. We'll speak with you all tomorrow, dear ones. God bless you.